Hello, and welcome to Presenting, a podcast where we chat about various topics related to role-playing games, typically Paizo products such as Pathfinder and Starfinder, but also others. I'm John Godek, and with me today is Navar Seek Jackson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, it's it's great to get to chat with you more in person, so to speak. Now, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Navar is a podcaster, writer, and game designer. His Secret Nerd podcast showcases marginalized creators and game designers in the tabletop RPG space. He is especially interested in horror and skill-based narrative games and recently completed The Corrupted, a game about exploring human conflict through the backdrop of an apocalypse. Navar recently joined our flagship No Direction podcast and is also part of the cast of Unwavering Force, a Pathfinder 2nd edition actual play with an all BIPOC cast. Yeah. All right. Um, you can find Navar on the No Direction Network at SuketNerdPodcast.com and on Twitter at NavarSNP. That's a mm. lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. I recently added so many things, so it, <laughs> it no, adds up. <laughs> that's great. And, and, and you're a father, too, on top yeah. of all that. Yeah. 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 So yeah, somehow I, I find time. <laughs> my kids are all grown up, so I have I have time for for doing this now. Yeah, mine are all under five for a few more weeks, and wow. uh, it's it's a lot for sure. Yes, no, for sure, for sure. So, uh, Navar, can you talk a little bit about your podcasting and game design work, and in particular, how did you get started working in this space? Yeah, so um, podcasting came first. I basically, around 2019, I started listening to podcasts. Um, I really wanted to play TTRPGs, but I didn't have a group at home uh, mm -hmm. to play them. And so um, I started just listening uh, just as a way to like consume that style of media and, and learn a little bit about the games. Um, and the first podcast that was actually the one that I caught on to was actually a Pathfinder first edition podcast, the glass can podcast. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I really loved it. I had, I had played TTRPGs prior for like a total of like five sessions. Um, uh, but it had been almost 10 years, um, between that and me listening to podcasts about it. And as I just started to listen more and start to pick up other shows, uh, I really just wanted to do it. And I really loved the idea of making an actual play. Uh, but making an actual play requires a lot of work if you want to do it. I think if you want to do it right and you want to like come out of the gate swinging, it, it, it takes a lot. And that wasn't something I was really prepared to do because I had never even done a podcast before. Um, mm -hmm. But what I found was that I really enjoyed um, interview podcasts. I really enjoyed listening to somebody who was good at talking to other people, talk to them and listen about people's stories. And um, some of the shows that I was listening to, they didn't have, like, it wasn't always like famous people or things. It was sometimes just people you would like run into on a street or like maybe they were mm -hmm. like famous in their circle, but it wasn't like they were like a celebrity. Um, but they had a really interesting story to tell. And I think just in listening to that and seeing like kind of what the podcast landscape was like, um, I really wanted to see what it would be like if I could meet other people who did uh, teach RPGs. Initially, it was just like people who even played them. I wasn't really thinking about like other podcasters and creators at the time, but people who play teach RPGs who are marginalized because um, Pathfinder or Glass Cannon, uh, 
Glass Cannon podcast is a show that I love, but it's also five white guys. Um, You know, uh, so a lot of these shows had similar makeup and I wanted to see like what it was like for other people who look like me or who are also marginalized and what were their experiences like. So I kind of just went with that idea. I talked to my friend group because I'm fortunate that my friend group is already uh, a group of marginalized people. And, um, and then I did the big venture of getting on Twitter at the age of 33 for the first time and, (laughs) and, uh, and started to just try to meet people. And so I met um, Joe, who became uh, a real friend of mine. Uh, Joe is from the Makers Misfits podcast, which is a Pathfinder 2E podcast, uh, an all uh, BIPOC Pathfinder 2E podcast. And yeah, and and it just kind of grew from there. Like after the first four interviews were really cool. It was my friends, but it was really cool to get to know them better. Um, Mm -hmm. But interviewing Joe, I think, really opened up my mind to the idea that I, I maybe had something special that maybe I could be a voice that could bring out people's experiences in a way that made them feel comfortable and, and vulnerable and want to share that. And, and yeah, it just kind of took off. I, I scheduled way too many interviews um, (laughs) and it took me about three months to learn to like slow down and like, you know, plan better. Um, And yeah, and it just kept rolling. And so as I was continuing, I met more, um, a lot of podcasters and streamers and stuff like that. But then I also started to meet game designers. Um, and so one of like the first um, special game designers that I got to meet was uh, Quinn Murphy, who has written mm-hmm. for Paizo. Yeah. And um, yeah, meeting Quinn was uh, was great because he's another black man. And he, it was really cool to see like he's been doing it. He designed his own games. He has freelanced for Paizo and for other people. And so... It it was one of those things where like when people talk about representation, we talk about like how much it it allows you to see that something can be done, something that felt like it was out of your reach um, is attainable. And Quinn was that person for me, and and uh, made it even better because then he helped sort of mentor me as I started on my path of like learning to write adventures and uh, writing games and things like that. Um, and yeah, so it, I, I met more and more of these folks. Uh, I met, uh, a person who designed a SRD for, um, called the Caltrop core. And, and that was the first game I designed was a one page. Um, and mm-hmm. I've, I've loved detective stuff for mm-hmm. my whole life. And, uh, like the idea of like Sherlock Holmes specifically, um, and so I wanted to make a game where somebody could solve mysteries. And uh, and yeah, so the first game I made was called The Last Detective. And then after that, I was like, well, I made a one-page RPG. I should make a big game now. And mm-hmm. and I don't want to use somebody else's system, um, which, I don't know, that's a give or take. I think there's plenty of merits to making your own system. And I think there's a ton of merits to using a system that's already been tested and established and has an audience um so but yeah i really enjoyed the challenge of it and in and i really am happy and proud with what that became in the corrupted um and yeah it's it's been a really it's been a really fun ride to see uh to go from like i'm doing this thing um you know with basically very little help and 
put it out digitally and then have the opportunity to work with a publisher to get this thing physically published here pretty soon. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It, I, I saw that um, The Corrupted is inspired by The Last of Us. Yes. Yeah. It, did you watch the whole HBO series? I made a podcast about the whole HBO series. Oh. So, yes. <laughs> I did not know. I, yeah. Yeah. I, it's called Escape the Dark. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. friend who – so, basically – um, it's, uh, the timeline all connects my, I, one of the interviews I did was with my wonderful friend Indrani. Um, they are from Mumbai and they, uh, are the co-creator of They Season Dragons, which is a, like the largest, um, the largest TTRPG community in India. And, uh, we were talking and we got into video games and we both started talking about The Last of Us yeah. and then we spent like 30 minutes talking about it. And then we joked on the interview and this is like the first time of us meeting, we joked like, well, we yeah. should just do a podcast about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then that joke was like a thing, like as we continued to talk over time, we were like, well, yeah. I mean, but what if we did? And then uh, I made the game. Uh, they helped me um, with a lot of the ideas and uh, with the editing. And then when the show was coming up, I was like, well, look, we've been joking about this for a while what if we just actually made a podcast about it and we did it based on the first season and then we can talk about the games after that. Yeah. And yeah, so that's what we did. We're, we're returning probably in the next month or so with um, nice. some new episodes on the, on the video game. But yeah, we cover the entire show. Wow. Wow. I, yeah. I maybe I should have, I should have listened to that. I, I watched it when it first came out and then I took a break and I just finished it up this week. Yeah. At the very end. I've you know, seen every I, episode three times. At yeah, least. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's certain parts I really enjoyed a lot, mm -hmm. uh, and then the ending was different, not what I expected. You know. Yeah. Did you Did you ever play the games? I did not. I okay. actually have not. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think the. I really love the show. Obviously, I've watched it multiple times and did a podcast mm -hmm. about it. But I really do genuinely love it. I did have some issues with it and i think a lot of it was more of i think my theory is that or my hypothesis is that the hbo didn't know if there was going to be a second season right and because they didn't know they gave them a sort of like these are your amount of episodes and the structure you have and within that frame they had to fit in a lot of stuff and right. so they wanted to add new right. things and the new stuff right. they added was amazing but they also had to fit in like okay well now we're getting towards the end so the last episode right. being 40 minutes i believe um was just too short in my opinion yeah i thought Do so I too. It, yeah yeah kind of anticlimactic actually you know, in in a so way, yeah. It just yeah. I I feel like there could yeah. have been fifteen more minutes of scene, yeah. and I would have been really happy about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited that they renewed it and that mm -hmm. we're getting a second season, and hopefully, uh, the writers guild strike that's going on, the writers get paid, and we can right. get back, and everybody's right. happy, and we have a well written show. Yeah, I really yeah. like Pedro Pascal. I can really identify yes. with him as an older brown person. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He did amazing in the role um, as like a super fan of the game. I I absolutely loved him as that character. Right. So yeah, cool, cool. So uh, other big news. So mm -hmm. Unraving Force that that podcast just released last week. Can you talk yeah. about it? Yeah. Um, so An Unwavering Force is a show that has been like nine months in the making. Uh, mm -hmm. We are an all Bimpok queer-led cast, and we basically are doing Star Wars 
but using Pathfinder 2e. We mm-hmm. talked about a lot of different systems, but um, I think we had f- three or four people in the group that already loved and played Pathfinder 2e. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about it and just like there's so many things that the system can do and i really love the idea of like how powerful pathfinder 2e makes you feel as a as a pc um and so i was like well if we do it like i want i want to feel like a powerful jedi like i want to right i want to be able to take out like bunch of uh, you know, stormtroopers or whatever, um, because that's what would really happen. Like it, it you know, yeah. it wouldn't be a uh, one Jedi versus one battle droid and have a high risk of of losing that fight. And so we talked about how that would work. And so yeah, we decided on Pathfinder Two E. We decided on doing dual class, um, and then we uh, homebrew some things. Obviously, like you know, lightsabers and ships. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the stuff we pull from Starfinder for how that works. Um, but for the most part, yeah, we're just figuring out how we can flavor feats and spells to be to fit into the Star Wars universe um, and then just trying to tell a really amazing story. So, yeah, it's it's highly edited. We have two editors, myself included, nice. um, and, and well produced. And, yeah, we are very, very excited about it. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I, I will definitely have to check that out for yeah. sure. So yeah, I play a. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say I, I I play yeah. a a a Padawan who is escaping Order sixty six. Um, mm-hmm. So if that doesn't sell you on it, I don't know what will. Yeah, and so I guess uh, you know you kind of mentioned that. Um, I'm just thinking, you, if you're a Padawan, so are, you're not a super powerful Jedi yet, then, right? Uh. I mean, more powerful than a stormtrooper for sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's interesting in that, like, when you start to look at like power scaling, right, in, a, yeah. in terms of like Star Wars and and other things, um, it is an interesting thing. But I think about like uh, uh, Ahsoka in the mm-hmm. show, The Clone Wars, was right. exceptionally powerful and right. could handle herself right. in fights against you know multiple Mandalorians, even. So yeah. I think that. Um, yeah, there, you have to look at like, what is the character versus what is the, um, what are they going up against and, and how does that work? And I think our GM has done an amazing job with that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it feels really good. And, and it makes you think about like, well, what's this going to, what is this Jedi going to look like when right? That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Much, much higher level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Going to be for that. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. So you've been a podcaster for a couple of years now. And one mm-hmm. of the things I like to do when I interview podcasters is kind of see how your process works. So kind of uh, how you record, how you get mm-hmm. guests. Uh, you've had some 90 episodes of your own Secret Nerd podcast where you're interviewing people, some yeah. of the equipment you use, some of the software. Can you talk about that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a lot of for Secret Nerd Podcast, the show's currently on hiatus, but um, when I was working on getting guests in, typically it was um, using Twitter. I would uh, reach out to folks on Twitter. Um, as the show grew over time and as I just um, n- continued to meet more people, I was it was easier because I had – there were 
generally when I was inviting somebody on, I had already, we had already been like mutuals on Twitter and had some interaction right. for a few months at that point, uh, in most cases, some cases, not the case. Uh, but, but yeah, so a lot of times it was just like, you know, sending a Twitter DM or we were in the same discord and, um, asking if they were interested. Um, I like to pick all of the guests. Um, so I've had sometimes folks ask if they could come on the show and that usually doesn't end up working out typically just because I, I think I enjoy the idea of curating who I'm giving a platform to. Um, and, and not to say that like the people who ask aren't worth being interviewed. I think it's just a matter of like, I have limited time. I have a long list of folks that I'm already interested in. And, mm -hmm. um, unless you're already on that list, it's like, well, okay, well I may be able to fit you in, but that means I'm also have to look at what you're doing and then this might be a four or five month thing down the line. So, right. um, but yeah, so it's, it's a lot of that. I think just, um, I, I am very aware of, you know, how I represent myself in the space and my reputation, um, and how I treat the people that come on my show, because I think that's important. Uh, I want mm -hmm. folks to feel safe. Um, we get into a lot of like really vulnerable things on the show. Um, and so I definitely want people to feel safe to feel like they can talk about that stuff um, because we're talking about like our life experiences when it comes to how that intersects with teacher RPGs. So it is a lot of games talk, but it's also a lot of life talk. Uh, and I, I, that's part of why I really love it. Um, yeah. When I first started, I, my friend bought a microphone basically to pressure me into podcasting. So I used his for a little bit and then I got uh, a different mic. And now I use um, one that I'm really happy with, which is the Samson Q2U. Um, yep. Because, that. yeah, yeah. I think the, so many mics, like so many people use a lot of like compressor mics, uh, which are fine. Um, they have good input, uh, but it catches so much background noise. And as a person who has become progressively more obsessed with getting clean audio, I was like, mm -hmm. I need to eliminate this. And uh, I really love the way that um, it, you know, makes uh, me sound. And uh, when I have other people who have the similar mic, I love the way that they sound with it. So um, yeah, I also use Zencaster, uh, which, mm. Uh, up cool. until recently was free for everyone. I know. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was able to get, yeah, I know. I was able to get onto their Creator Plus program, but I know that's not everybody's thing. And uh, mm -hmm. But I would encourage you if you can convince them to do it. Like, I think it's a fantastic program. I'm much happier with it than uh, other paid programs that I've used with other yeah. people's shows. Mm -hmm. um, and what else? Yeah. Uh, but mostly it's just this. I have my little box that I've made. Uh, my friend uh, <laughs> uh, Lev um, did one or had one for their interview. And then after the interview, I was like, uh, how did you make that? I need to know. And then I made one myself. Um, but yeah, that's, it's uh, a lot of that. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, what do you edit in? Some what do I edit in? I edit in uh, Adobe Audition. Oh, okay. Um, which I am very happy with. I would say, like, if you're listening to this and you're like curious about doing a podcast and you you don't want to pay for Adobe Audition because obviously it's very expensive, a Reaper is another option, which See, I think does. Reaper is what I use. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, Reaper is also fantastic. Uh, I am not a fan of Audacity. It's free and it works, yeah. but I'm not a fan. Uh, <laughs> um, I also, along with that, I recently... For an unwavering force, we also got uh, Descript. So I do all of the sound mixing and mastering in mm-hmm. Adobe Audition. Descript does a transcript for you. It also right. lets you quickly edit out um, ums and uhs and silences and other filler words if you wow. choose to use those words as well. You can just wow. select it from the transcript um, yeah. with the click of a button and and erase them all, and it kind of fills in wow. the silence pretty well. Um, and, and that yeah. works on the written transcript, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah wow. You can go find the word and yeah. delete it, and it'll delete it from the track. Nice. Because I've been thinking about doing that, because Zencaster gives you a transcript now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was thinking about starting to do that as well. So mm-hmm. I'll have to look up uh, the Descript. That's cool. See, I yeah. learned something new. That's great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So And so now on No Direction, mm-hmm. uh, I all I do is sound mastering for No Direction uh, for mm-hmm. Esther and I's episodes. Uh, but... Uh, G uses the script as well. And that's now why No Direction has transcripts. Right. Um, right, right so right. for that podcast. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I think that covers it. Uh, I just use a sort of a uh, Logitech, um, like the kind of standard webcam. Uh, and ring light. I I enjoy, I do like to have video on, uh, appreciate this, um, because I think it helps with conversation, especially for me uh, as a, an autistic person, like it helps me kind of see somebody and, and Mm -hmm. to the extent that I can gain from cues in a, in a video forum, it helps me a lot in a conversation. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's it for the equipment stuff. No, nice, nice. No, that was, that was good. You're the first person I've talked to that actually even knows what Zencaster is. So. I, I, I've used it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, again, like when I first started, I really wanted to make the podcast sound as good as possible. Yeah, yeah. Which back then I was using Audacity. I, um, yeah, yeah. To edit and my mic wasn't as good. All this stuff, but over time I was like, well, what's the best thing? And Zencaster kept popping up as like, Zencaster doesn't. It's not as destructive as other programs are. So, like, if you're right. recording in Zoom, one, you have to pay to record for longer than forty minutes. Yeah. Um, two, it's not going to sound as good. It's going to sort of destroy your audio a little bit. Um, and then Riverside was the other option, but Riverside is also paid and more expensive. Um, right. And I've had a lot of problems with Riverside. Uh, yeah. That, as a guest I looked on other people's Riverside. shows. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. like oh, it doesn't seem like. And plus, you got to learn a whole new system. Like, I've been using yeah. ZenCaster for three years. Yeah. Ever since it was in its first beta. And it's like, yeah. And I tried to get on the creator's uh, program there, but it kept, every time I they approved it, and then it would kick me over to the paid thing to have to pay again for something. So I just said, forget it. I'll just I'll just pay for this year and then, then sort it out. So Yeah. I was going to say, you should just try, if they approved it, just try changing your plan to Creator Plus and see if it just lets you do it, if you didn't do that already. Yeah, I've I've tried. I, yeah, that's weird. Because I record three podcasts, uh, mm. and I like I messed with it for a while. Then I got on the free trial just to figure it out, and then I had to do one. Like it's in fifteen minutes. I said, forget it. I just you know, <laughs> I can't delay. I can't ask yeah. that yeah. you know somebody I'm interviewing to wait while I try to figure. It out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, so it's, it, yeah, it's. I mean, I I understand like the their need to do it. Um, yeah. but. In terms of a 
of just as, as regards to the platform, um, I have had very little issues personally with it. Yeah, and same. usually when that happens, it's the, generally the issue was like, I was on a laptop that was just not powerful enough to do all the things I was trying to do at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or like somebody's computer froze. Um, right. and then like the right. very, very occasional, the, the server with Zencaster is having an issue and just, you can't even get a recording going. And that's been maybe a couple of times. Only two out of 300 episodes have I had an issue. Yeah. So that's yeah. a pretty good track record for me. For sure. So, so uh, you mentioned uh, joining the No Direction Network and now you're yeah. on our flagship podcast. Can you talk about how that's been so far? Yeah. Uh, so it's been pretty amazing. I, I was a guest on No Direction last year in February. Um, Michelle asked me to come on and talk mm-hmm. about stuff, and and that was pretty amazing. Um, I've been a longtime Pathfinder 2E fan, and I talk about Pathfinder 2E incessantly on my show whenever somebody gives me opportunity when it comes up. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. I uh, have been friends with Esther for a while now. We, we sort of like... Uh, she was doing a, she does a Pathfinder 2E show called Chromithica. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. Um, and I try to support all of the Pathfinder 2E shows that I'm aware of, especially if they have marginalized uh, cast. And uh, just over time, finally got her on the show. And uh, as it was coming up to like, she was going to be one of the hosts. Um, the other person that was going to host with her just wasn't available uh, anymore. And so she really wanted me to come on, which I, am um, very flattered by. And I immediately said yes, because I <laughs> love Pathfinder 2E. And I was like, yeah, you get to talk about this, uh, all the time, of course. Um, but yeah, it's been really, really amazing. Um, Ryan and, and all the other folks who are involved have been absolutely wonderful and welcoming. Um, it's been really, really cool to get to see a lot of these books and talk about them and get to talk to, um, you know, writers and, and designers for this stuff and, and sort of get the like immediate scoop and also be sort of that voice for, um, the, the Pathfinder content in a lot of ways for new folks that are coming into it and listening to a show to learn about like, Oh, well, is this book worth getting or what is this actually going to entail? What am I getting out of this stuff? Um, I think the no direction network does an amazing job of just like outlining so many aspects of, of mm-hmm. this line of products. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy being a part of that team that gets to sort of convey that to everybody. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's really cool that both you and, and Esther are on there, given the work that you're doing with marginalized um, people in the space. And yeah. I want to actually ask you about that. I asked Esther kind of a similar question. You know, she has some kind of support tools for the folks that she's working with. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel things are progressing in the tabletop RPG space for marginalized people? Uh, I think it's it's tough because I think if you were to like look at it maybe on a graph there, you would see progress. Right. But I think like anything that has that kind of like data, it's not going to be linear. I think there are times when things really look better and improved. And there are times where there's still a lot of stuff that we're fighting against to, to have a voice, to have space, to be in the room, to get hired as a freelancer. Um, And so yeah, I think that 
what I have found is that there are more groups of marginalized folks who are willing to take care of each other um, more often than not. Recent Twitter discourse aside, uh, but I think that they're generally speaking, there's a lot more groups of folks who are like, we are we are going to make this to give platforms to other marginalized creators. Um, Utopia is a is mm-hmm. one that always comes to mind. Uh, a sh- the streaming channel Nameless Domain is another one, um, and there's so many shows or so many uh, platforms, streaming channels, Discord groups, things like that that we now have the opportunity to like work together, help each other out you know, show each other when a new opportunity is, has come up, um, be a voice for each other. And so in, in a lot of ways, I think that that has helped a lot. I think what's going to help that more also is that when other people who aren't uh, BIPOC folks are adding in their voice as well and and using their power and position to, to also look for folks like myself and like you and other folks to say like, Hey, yeah, we, we are looking to hire diverse voices, um, Mm -hmm. and, and making it a priority and actually doing the work and not just, you know, saying the thing. Um, yeah. So in, in ways I have seen it get better even over the past couple of years. Uh, but I still think there's a really, really long way to go, uh, in that. And I think, that it's important that not all the work falls on the people who are already marginalized to have to do it themselves. Yeah, I would agree. That's something, you know, having talked with and interviewed a lot of folks at Paizo, I'm surprised that it's still predominantly not people of color. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. very small, very small percentage of people working there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They've been hiring a lot of freelancers, Right. Yeah. They've been working hard at that. But actually, you know, developers, designers, editors, it's it's something, you know, for a company that's really trying to work on that. It'd be nice to see more there. Wizards of the Coast is probably even worse. Um, it, yeah. In a lot of ways. So, <laughs> that's, um, that's really bad. Yeah. yeah. To, to that end, I, I, I do. I 100 percent agree with you. I do also. I don't know if you saw the news today, but shout out that uh, Paizo did hire um, uh, Rude. Yes, I saw that. I saw that on Discord. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to Rue because Rue is incredible, an amazing um, organizer and and just an incredible person. So, yeah. Very cool. All right. So what advice do you have for people interested in getting into podcasting and game design work? Uh, do it. Um, <laughs> I would say on the game design side, I would definitely say just try just write stuff, uh, mm-hmm. create things, try out new mechanics, um, run more games. That helps a ton. So you can kind of see how other systems work. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the in game design for me, and I think for a lot of people, the biggest thing is just to do it. And, and if your barrier is like, this is scary to do, make a one-page game. It doesn't have to be comp- You don't have to have a ton of systems in it. But the more I think that you do that, the more confidence you're going to build. And I think you'll become inspired as you go from one idea to the next and go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to try this. Like, I think if I had never made that one page game, I would have never made the corrupted and I would never be in a position where I'm going to have a book now that's going to be in people's homes with my name on it. Um, And so, 
yeah, I think it's it's really important in game design to just try. And if you already are GMing games, like one of the biggest pieces of advice that I've gotten is like, if you're already running games, you're kind of already doing game design in the sense that you're learning, you're using systems in ways to to facilitate a game. Um, if you're doing homebrew content, that's, you know, that's the next step. So yeah, just give it a shot. In podcasting, I would say it is important to also do it, but I, I feel your if your goal is to do podcasting long term or you have uh any sense that you want to do it to try to pursue it um to a level of success that you feel would be um that you would find successful right it doesn't have to be like 10,000 downloads per episode or whatever but just something that like you would feel like I have an audience that I'm happy with, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, if you're not like in it, you're just like, I want to do this for my own and for my best friend, uh, like that kind of thing. I think it's very important to do some planning first, um, to do some test uh, recordings, to do some test edits, to learn. Like there's a lot of things I think that it's very easy to just, record something and throw it out there. Um, but if you want people to listen to it, I think that their listeners, many listeners to speak generally about this, many listeners will give a lot of leniency, um, for sound. But I think that there's also a very large group of people who, once they listen to something that doesn't, that to them is, is not like good audio, it's going to be hard to retain them as a, as a listener. Um, right. Personally, I'm very hypersensitive to sound. So if like, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background and, uh, and it, the, you know, siblings is all over the place. Like I just, it's hard for me to do. Um, so yeah. So I would say, think about what your goal is first uh, and then plan on the best way to attain that goal. Um, and it doesn't have to be super expensive uh, it's probably a lot less expensive than you might think. And yeah, but I, I do think it's, it's important to, to do some planning when it comes to podcasting specifically. And if you're going to do an actual play podcast, you have to do even more planning. <laughs> yes. I, I've been running an actual play for a while. We started in person. Yeah. Headsets all around, microphones all around, having a mixer on the table. And it wasn't even at my house. I had to bring it all to somebody else's house, yeah. set it up each time. Oh, man. Um, yeah. I, I, one of the things I'll, I will say, so like, you know, your, uh, your mic and boom arm and um, uh, uh, what do you call that? The windshield there? Yeah. I actually bought a set just like that online used for 20 bucks. Yeah. It's like there's so many people who are getting out of podcasting after trying it that yes. it's really easy to get good deals on equipment, a good, yeah. good equipment to get yeah. started. And I will say too, like a lot of times you'll hear like, Oh, we'll just get like a blue Yeti or whatever. Oh, um, no, no, no. Please, please don't. But yes. also <laughs> the, this whole setup that I have, this microphone that I talked about, the Samson QTU with the yeah. boom arm, with the pop filter, pop filter uh, which is, yeah. which is USB to my computer. Right. You don't have to have yeah. um, the additional setup costs a hundred dollars on Amazon. Right. Yeah, no, um, I, it's, it's a great Like deal. if you're going to pay 60 bucks for a microphone that you're going to have to eventually upgrade, just save a couple more weeks and get the, use that $40 yes. to get, to get this. Um, because this I think is 
for me, I I don't imagine that I'll upgrade from this microphone until I get to like a sure microphone and have like right. a full on and that's just it's so much money. Uh which if you can afford it, do it because it's it's worth it. Uh, I'll I don't tell think it sounds better than oh, they do on a I, shirt. I, I get a shirt here and I pick it up yeah. for under two hundred bucks used. Yeah, and online. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, yeah, I look for good. Now I look for a lot of good deals, mm-hmm. and I have so many extra mics and stuff lying around. And so, like the setup that that I started with that you have now, my co-host on Digital Divination, Jason Keeley, uses that now. Yeah, you know, so I I do make use of these things. But yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I just I, I'm like you though. I'm like super sensitive to to sound and mm-hmm. audio and background noise and everything. So I I annoy our actual play folks quite a bit because I'm asking them, oh, can you turn this down? Can you do this? Move closer. All yeah. that stuff. Yeah, so. it's it's honestly like it's created a situation that I recently tweeted out that I wish that. One of the things I would love to do is like create a program where marginalized folks can have like basically like, hey, we want to do an actual play podcast. There's five of us, right? Because that's a typical size. Yeah, yeah. And like you can basically apply for the scholarship and just have five of these mics, you know, the Reaper code and like and and some some plans on like how to use it and so i've uh been working with some folks to see about like making that a reality i'm not going to make any promises on when that's going to happen but i think it's something that is is a possibility and the reason it's a possibility is because you know if if folks can come together and you know donate to a charity stream or um you know any kind of other kind of like crowdfunding type thing for the cause of creating a space where marginalized voices have everything they need to um, to succeed, to like take their audio to another level and uh, and learn how to use their software and stuff like that, like I think that is a huge help because um, that's it is another it is another roadblock. And if somebody's already not going to listen to your show. Um, for whatever inherent biases they have and then you finally convince them to do it and then it's the audio isn't great um by no fault of own it's just what you've got to work with like then it's it's one more thing in the way and i i i would love to be able to take down those barriers and i i hope that people who don't have the same hypersensitivities that we have listen to those shows um and give them the opportunity because there's amazing stories to tell there so yeah if you do something like this, um, I have some uh, nice Audio Technica f- mics from my actual play that are literally just sitting on the shelf. Yeah. Um, so I, I would gladly donate them. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely I'll, I'll reach out and let you know because um, it is something that we're we're working on. We just don't have dates and and yes, things like that. Sure. So yeah. All right. So in addition to that, uh, what's next for Navarre? What what's going on? <laughs> uh right now it's mostly i'm i'm waiting on this uh the corrupted to get published um Mm -hmm. and and kind of deal with all of that uh and then um after that yeah i will be continuing to make other games i have um some some ideas that i think are going to be really fun uh for future stuff i will be continuing to um write supplements and scenarios for the corrupted and and to support that game um and possibly uh you know do updated versions if it's needed in the future as well 
Um, and yeah, just trying mainly what I'm trying to do now is, is get into the TTRP industry as a freelancer. Um, I'd love to be able to write and, and, you know, design if somebody wants me to, um, in that regard, uh, because I, I really love it. And I think it'd be great to, to get paid to do it as well. Um, but yeah, so alongside with that, I got some, some new games cooking. Um, I will not be doing any more, I will not be creating any more podcasts because four is plenty. Uh, and, mm-hmm. but yeah, just, you know, coming back to secret nerd podcasts soon, I'm thinking, um, getting, getting more of an unwavering force on and out there and exposed to more mm-hmm. people, um, coming back to escape the dark and yeah, just having a lot of fun with no direction and you know, hanging on to that cool. as long as I can. So, yeah. Great. Well, Navar, it's been great uh, getting a chance to chat with you and get to know you better. And uh, yeah, you too. It's been super having you on the podcast today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great.